0: I know for many of you out there, uh, your time at JMU this past year has been one that has been uh, different than many expected, maybe different than you expected, maybe this is your freshman year, maybe this is your first semester on campus right now and you just were able to get back on uh, campus for the first time, you got moved into your dorms throughout the snowstorm and you're like, you know what, the more he talked about community, the more he talked about friendships, the more I want that. Just encourage you to take a step into community, take a step of faith and and to make some friends that would would last a lifetime, make some friends that would grow you spiritually, make some friends that would challenge you and be with you and journey with you while we're here in Harrisonburg. And so I would encourage you, if you haven't already signed up for a core group, to go ahead and do that. And you may be wondering, how do I sign up for a core group? That's such a great question. I'm so glad you asked. Uh, There are so many different ways that you can sign up for a core group. You could uh, post it in the comments right now which would also get you entered uh, for the live dead joy. And I'm sure a core group leader would snatch you up in the comments. Uh, You can direct message uh, JMU Chi on Instagram if you would so desire, or you can sign up on our website, jmuxa.com. And if you go through there, uh, there's a place for you to sign up and you can enter that in and it'll go through all the email world that Al Gore invented. uh, And then we'll be able to place you in a core group. And so I would just encourage you, if you know somebody in Chi Ask them, hey, can I come to your core group and to go with them this week. Core groups will meet tomorrow night and Thursday night, and they will continue uh, throughout the semester. So I would encourage you as you're looking for community to take that step even right now to go ahead and log on, uh, to go ahead and text a friend and say, I want to come to your core group this week, and we would love to see you there. Go Dukes. Well, hey. My name is Josh Moran. I'm on staff with uh Kyle here at JMU. I'm so thrilled for this semester. I'm so thrilled for the snow. I don't know about you guys, but I love snow. I like cold weather because it leads to snow. Otherwise, I'm just not sure why we have cold weather. Do you know what I mean? Like if I had my choice, we would be able to play golf year-round. Uh, and if we weren't able to play golf, I want it to be snowing. And so Uh, the kids and katie and i have been out sledding the last few days Uh, we are believing uh, that the snow and the ice is going to hold off until tomorrow morning so we can get one more run at it tomorrow Uh, we're hoping the kids are out of school if they're not eh, who could say we may treat it like a friday class and just go ahead and go sledding instead Uh, and so we're (laughs) really thrilled for that and so i hope that you guys have enjoyed the snow i'm also thrilled that we're all back in harrisonburg Uh, The last two weeks where people were, where some students were here and some of you were waiting to come back. It's just like, I just wish we were all here. And I'm longing for the day when we'll all be able to meet together. Hoping that as we continue to move, as the vaccine continues to get out, that COVID will be further and further behind us. So we'll be able to meet in person, socially distanced with masks. uh, Maybe as early as uh, March 1st on campus. We'll see who could say... And so we will wait and see. You'll, you'll find out some more about that. But I'm also thrilled because we're starting a new series tonight. Maybe that's why you logged in. Maybe uh, Julia left you with a cliffhanger earlier and you're like, What is the series going to be? Well, drumroll please. I can hear you all drum rolling right now. The series for this semester is in the book of Exodus and it's called The Struggle Israel. I can hear you all laughing. Yes, that is very punny. Yes, it is a tremendous play on words because we're going to be looking through the Exodus story. We're going to be looking at the, the nation of Israel. We're going to be looking at the Israelites, and we're going to see their struggle as they move through, as they move out of Egypt, and as they then try to get Egypt out of them as they journey through the wilderness and eventually make it to the tabernacle. I love the story of Exodus, I love the the history that's in Exodus, I love the major players that are in Exodus, I love the, the themes that show up in Exodus, and I believe that as we study this Old Testament book, that we will get a chance to go deeper in our understanding of who God is, deeper in our understanding of His power and His presence to bless, His presence to be with us as we see how the Israelites struggled. How many of you know the struggle is real even for you today? You're, you're looking over your class schedule and you're like, why did I sign up for so many asynchronous classes? There is no way I'm going to watch all those videos. How did I get myself into this? Or, or why did I sign up for that lab that meets that early on Friday morning? Or, or maybe it's like, how did I get here? Or man, it was just hard to even show up to campus in the snow and it changed all our plans. And there's just so many things in our lives that can cause so much struggle. There are things in our walk with God that it's like, I'm trying to do this, I'm trying to do this right, but man, it's just a struggle. Sometimes our academic life, our familial life, like our relationships, everything can be described in a struggle sometimes. Where is God in all of that? Where is His presence? What does this mean? How can we learn? How do we grow? What do we do? How does this play out? And that's what I love about Journeying with the Israelites. That we get to look at them in their raw emotion. We get to look at them as all these things are happening. And we get to learn and grow with them as we, as we grow and learn this entire semester. So tonight what we're going to do is we're going to take an overview. We're going to look at the first two chapters. Uh, we're going to end on time. Don't worry. Uh, and so we're going to move a little quickly, kind of hit some of the big highlights, some of the big themes. But, but I want to take a step back and say... i'm I'm going to venture to guess that if you were to go out on the street today maybe some of you have some jewish friends uh, or maybe you know someone who's jewish you're going to go you find a jewish person you were to ask them what is the most important event in the old testament like what's what's the highlight what is it what what is that moment 10 times out of 10 i believe that they would say the passover If you were to walk up to someone on the street and say, hey, do you know any Old Testament stories? Have you ever read the Old Testament? What stories do you know from the Old Testament? They would say the parting of the Red Sea, the plagues in Egypt. They would say the Ten Commandments, all these stories, the Passover, the parting of the Red Sea, the exodus out of Egypt, happens in Exodus this semester. Put on your seatbelts, it's gonna be a wild ride. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Exodus. Exodus is the second book of the Bible. Uh, So if you are at the very beginning, you're going to see Genesis. Very next is going to be Exodus. Uh, If you have an NIV thin line, uh, it's going to be on page 54, because that's where it is in mine. Uh, Go Dukes. The joke never gets old, so you'll get used to it. If you're tuning in for the first time, I'm going to say it every week. It's just, I can't stop. I tell myself I'm not going to say it. And then I end up saying it, and so there it is. So turn to page 54. So I'm, I'm excited that we're going to see how this plays out. Well, as we start, I want you to know, like, Exodus, where does that word come from? What does Exodus mean? Exodus literally means the road out of, the way out of. And what, what we're going to see with the Israelites is that they have been enslaved in Egypt. And the Exodus story, the Passover story, is going to be the way for them to get out of Egypt, the way for them to get freedom, the way for us to find freedom, and to then travel together to the promised land, just like we are traveling in a community towards the promised land. And so let's see what the Lord would teach us tonight as we open our time in Exodus. We'll start reading in uh, chapter 1, verse 1. The text tells us these are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, Jacob whose name is also Israel, each with his family. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulon, Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher, the descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all because Joseph was already in Egypt. You're like, man, what? Wow, great. We learned a lot of names tonight. I think, uh, you know, maybe we'll start naming our kids after these. Maybe you notice that two Moran kids are named after two of these. Uh, oftentimes when we told kids that are, are told people that our, um, our sons are named Levi and Judah, they thought we were probably going to go for all 12. We're not. Um, and so uh, but what I, what we read this for is because the narrator in Exodus is tying this into the larger Genesis story. That what happened in Genesis as the covenant started with Abraham and moved through Isaac Isaac, and then moved to Jacob, like as this covenant starts, that the Exodus story is a continuation of this. That God's presence that was there at the beginning, God's presence is continuing to be with the Israelites, and that even the and so so the, the author of Exodus is quoting from the Genesis narrative to draw that back to our attention so that as we read this story, we have the sense that the same God that was there with the Israelites then is the same God that is there with them now. So the text continues. It says, Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Now, all you Bible scholars out there right now, like as we read this, as we say that they were exceedingly fruitful, as they multiplied, as they increased in numbers, Again, Genesis should be ringing in the back of our minds, right? Like the first commandment that God gave people was to be fruitful and multiply. And so, what the Israelites are doing as they're in Egypt is they are being fruitful. They're multiplying. They are increasing in numbers. They are doing everything right. It is as it should be. Creation is still continuing, and this is the way it was supposed to be. And everything was right. Except, let's continue. In verse 8, it says, Then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. Now, Joseph, for those of you that, to, to catch you up on the Genesis story, Joseph moves to Egypt. Okay, his brothers sell him into slavery. Joseph goes to Egypt. Joseph ends up being the one that saves the whole world, right? This is a fantastic story in the Bible. I encourage you to look it up in the Genesis narrative. And what happens is, is Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream. He knows that there's going to be seven years of blessing followed by seven years of famine. And so Joseph prepares all of Egypt for this famine that is to come. And he saves the whole world because of what Joseph did. Like Joseph is like the smartest guy in all of Egypt and, and Pharaoh is happy to have him be in control of everything. It's a fantastic story of God's sovereignty. And then what we see is that, that all this blessing that Joseph has is, is how the Israelites then move into Egypt, how they begin to increase. But then there's all of a sudden this new king to whom Joseph meant nothing. Now, how can I, how can I relate this to you? Right now, right now, some of you are in classes, maybe you're in discussion sections, maybe you got transferred into them, and you did all of your due diligence, right? Okay, you went on Rate My Professor, you checked it out, and you're like, this is the easy section, this is the one I wanted to be in, and then all of a sudden, as things got like flipped upside down, you got put into a different section. As you went and checked out this professor, it turns out... She's a little harder than she, you thought she was going to be. And it's like, oh, this is not what I meant. This is not, this is not how it's supposed to be. And, and that is what the Israelites are feeling now. All this blessing that they have had, all these things they have prepared for, it's like, now, it's like now there's this Pharaoh who's in charge to whom Joseph meant nothing. And so let's see what happens. In verse 9, Pharaoh says, Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. Verse 11 says So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labors. And they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. So here we see one of the first major struggles in Exodus. The Israelites are being worked ruthlessly by this Pharaoh to whom Joseph meant nothing. And Pharaoh, as he notices that they are multiplying, he's like, Wait, there might be too many of them. They might start their own army. They might grow too too, they might have too much power, they might have too much control, and so we have to end this. We have to deal with them truly. we have to oppress them, we must, must make them feel inferior to us. And so we see Pharaoh, who is the king over Egypt, Okay, the king over one of the, the, the largest nations in the world at this point. The, this, this, this powerful king is going to wield his power against, presumably, the Israelites. And it feels like he's winning at this point, right? It feels like he is taking control. But what he doesn't know is that his battle is not just against the Israelites. It's not just against the Israelites that are multiplying. But there's another character in our story that we're going to continue to read about. And so let's continue. So the king, now that he has worked them ruthlessly, they have still continued to increase. They have still continued to multiply. Creation is still moving forward. And the king's like, well, this isn't working. Okay, we've been doing all these things, we've been working them so hard, and so what are we going to do now? And let's see what he says. In verse 15, the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, Hebrew is just another word for um, Israelite, whose names were Shipra and Pua. Again, great names for you as you're considering, if you were to get engaged in the comments tonight, we, got, we got, gave you some male names at the beginning, and now Shipra and Pua, if you would like to name your firstborn that. Um, And it says, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. Now, again, much of this, what the Pharaoh is doing, is about war, right? It's about the Israelites taking up arms against the Egyptians. And so Pharaoh's like, okay, the way for us to put an end to that is to make sure that no men are able, able to get of age to be able to get into the Israelite army that doesn't even exist at this point, right? And so he's like, so let's kill all the boys. Let the girls live, but the boys, we must kill them. Pharaoh is obsessed with killing all of the males, so the text continues, the midwives, however, feared God. Now again, Pharaoh thought that his battle was just against the Israelites. Pharaoh thought that his battle was just against the Israelite men, right? But what we see is that Pharaoh's battle is about some, against someone else. And Pharaoh is going to see the power of God play out through the rest of this text. And the first way the power of God Acts, the first way the power of God moves is the way that he uses Shipra and Pua. Two Hebrew midwives, right? Two people. So Pharaoh Pharaoh is going to be obsessed with men throughout our story today, throughout the story of the Exodus. But the women were the ones who affected history here. Shipra and Pua, the, who Pharaoh would have not expected, who Pharaoh didn't think would have had anything to do with it. But what we realize is that they feared God. They they had a reverence. They had an awe of God, and they acted accordingly. And let's see what happens. It says that the midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. So then the king of Egypt summons the midwives and asks them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? Can you imagine these two women showing up at the palace? This guy who is now, he has, he has uh, enslaved the Israelites. He has worked them ruthlessly. They have been beaten. It is hot. It is nasty. He is a mean king to the Israelites. He has promised to kill every single male, and he put these two women in charge, and now they have disobeyed his direct order. Can you imagine the, the fear in that moment? What that moment would have felt like for those women as they stand there, and Pharaoh says, Why did you let the boys live? I love the response of the midwives. They answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and they give birth before the midwives arrive. And the text said, So God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous. Again, the creation narrative is continuing. Again, this being fruitful and multiplied is continuing as God's presence, as God's power is interacting with His people, even when they're in a situation where they're doing everything right, but everything around them is going wrong. Then the more that they do right, the more that it feels like they are spinning out of control, the, more, the harder it gets, the more right they do. But God is with them, and because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then, verse 22, Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Now the Nile, wow, right? This, if you've taken any ancient history classes, you know that the Nile is a really big deal, right? The Nile is a huge deal in Egypt. Um, I got some stats on the Nile Hill that the Nile is 915 miles long just in Egypt, okay? That is actually only 22% of the Nile, right? It's huge. The Nile represented all of life in Egypt. All of Egypt got its life from the Nile. It's the, it's the way that the Delta was flooded. It's the way that their crops were irrigated. It's where they bathed, as we're going to see. The Nile represented so much life. And what we see is that Pharaoh is now trying to use this Nile for death. And so we see the, that the, these different powers that are at play as Pharaoh who thinks that he is in control of everything and then goes up against the Israelites and goes up against the midwives and goes up against God. And now he brings the Nile onto his side, the most powerful river, the most powerful system of force, the most powerful life-giving thing in order to help him in this destruction of God's people so let's see what happens chapter 2 verse 1 says now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son now we don't know who this son is yet if you have an NIV subheading it says the birth of Moses and if you're familiar with the exodus story you know that that is who is getting ready to come but isn't it fascinating that the narrator doesn't even go doesn't even try to tell us who Moses's parents are It's of no matter. What's most important right now is that we know that these are two Levites. That as this story is progressing, as as the Levites are the priestly caste in the Israelites, that this child will be special. That what he will do for the Israelites, that that what God will do through him, the narrator is setting us up for this journey and that, that God's presence will be with him and that he will guide the people as a descendant of the Levites. The text says, When when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. When she could hide him for no longer, wait, whoa. She hid him for three months. Okay, I can't imagine that, okay? Do you know how, like, okay, the Christmas song is Silent Night, but it was not a silent night, okay? That is not how babies are born. That is not what life is like with small children. Okay, they are loud. They move around. You turn around and they're gone. Like, you realize there are corners of your house that you didn't even know existed because kids find their way into them. And she hid this baby for three months because she knew there was something about him. She knew there was something the Lord was doing, and and again, the women move history forward. Pharaoh, only thinking about the men, but the women move history forward. So, when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him, and I know many of you have papyrus laying around, it makes a good basket. she coated it with tar and pitch, and then she placed the child in it and put him among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. Here she's obeying the, uh, the uh, letter of the law, but not the spirit of the law, right? She's throwing her baby boy into the Nile. It just so ha- he just happened to be in a basket, okay? What was I supposed to do about that? And then the text tells us his sister, who we will know later is Miriam, presumably, stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. And then we're introduced to another character in our Exodus story. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe. Pharaoh, right? The guy that gave the edict. The guy that said that babies must be killed. The guy who said that this is what has to happen. His daughter goes down to the Nile to bathe. Again, 915 miles. The Nile River in Egypt. And she happens to go down right where Moses would be. And what happens? and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. She had compassion in that moment. She said, this is one of the Hebrew babies. Then his sister, that's Moses' sister, asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? I just happened to be here watching, and you grab this child. Should I go grab someone to nurse this child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter has a choice. Kill the boy, like her father has said, or not. Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went, and she got the baby's mother. (laughs) Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. So not only did Moses' mother then get her child back, then get her son back, She then gets paid to raise him. How amazing is that? Look at God. Won't he do it? His presence to bless. His presence to be with the people. He says, yes, there is something about this child and I will pay you to raise him. And then Moses goes back into the Pharaoh's house um, and he gets an Egyptian education. He, He grows in wisdom and stature and the Lord is going to do great things. But the Israelites are still being oppressed. The Israelites are still being being enslaved. The Israelites are still being driven so hard. Well we close tonight with the end of chapter two. Very last word. It says uh, in verse 23, the last two verses here. During that long period the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out in their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. At this point, the Israelites had been enslaved for somewhere between two and four hundred years in Egypt. Where it felt like, again, they had had done what they were supposed to do. They moved to Egypt to to avoid being wiped out. They were fruitful. They, They multiplied. They increased as the text told them to. And yet they had been enslaved for so long. And they thought, how long, Lord? Have you ever felt that way? How long, Lord? How much longer must I cry out for this? How much longer do I need this? How much longer, Lord? May this last verse be a sense of hope for you and for us tonight. God heard their groaning. And he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked down on the Israelites and was concerned about them. And that's the ultimate power play, right? What we know is that this story is going to continue. We're going to travel throughout this Exodus story the next several weeks, and we're going to see the God of power on display where Pharaoh has has raised up his army, where Pharaoh has, has gone to battle. Pharaoh is the most powerful person with the most powerful river on his side has been no match for the Israelite women. Pharaoh has been no match for the God of the Israelites whose power is on display and is going to be even more on display because of his presence with them because of his presence with the Israelites. And that is why the Exodus narrator wants us to tie this into the Genesis narrative, because of God's presence. Because God's presence was with them then, and because God's presence continues with them as they travel in this story of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and now the Israelite nation there in Egypt. The good news for us today is that God's presence is with us, that there is power in his presence. Look, I can't promise you that whatever is going wrong is going to be fixed like that. I can't promise you that that all these things will will be righted immediately. That's not what the text says. That's not the Israelite story. Again, they were doing everything right, but it still went wrong. But God's presence was with them, and there was a day coming. And Caiapha, I believe that day is coming for us. Caiapha, I believe that whatever it is with you, that, that, that his presence will be with you, as you travel with him, as you are with him, and as he is with you. So as we journey on the way out of Egypt, as we journey with the Israelites, as we sit in the struggles that they sit in, sit with your struggles, but bring God's presence into them. Realize that those things that are out there, they are just temporal, but that God, the God of victory, the God who has already won the victory is here with us now. That as you gather in your watch parties, as you gather in your core groups, as you gather at all these different places, that the Lord's power is greater than anything that you would look at. And that his presence is is greater than anything that you could ever imagine. And may we press into that presence this semester. May we still embrace the struggle of our everyday lives, but may we press in to the presence of God. So would you pray with me, Kyle? Kind of Gracious God, we're so thankful that we can approach you, that we can approach your throne of grace with confidence. Knowing that you are a God who is present here with us. God, that wherever we are right now, for if we're in a dorm room, if we're back home, God, if we're in our house, or in our apartment, or in our town home, that wherever we are, God, that your presence is with us, your presence to bless, your presence to speak, your presence to move, your presence to act. And so, God, we ask for your presence to go on our behalf. God, we pray that whatever is in front of us, that these struggles in our everyday life, that this, this part of this, these, these momentary troubles, or that these very real things, these heavy things, these pressing things that are with us, that we would sense your presence as we go through them. That as we journey out of these situations, as we journey with you, that we would embrace the struggle. Embrace your presence and see your victory, King Jesus. So God, we love you. We look forward to everything you have in store for us this semester. Bless us, King Jesus. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen.